Welcome to the Strange Catholics Podcast. I'm your host, Phil, joined as always by Terry in Minnesota with me and Bob in Virginia. We are three distinct voices bringing varied perspectives on the church and the world into the conversation. We want you to join in the conversation. You can do so by going to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics and leaving a message there. You may also email us at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Please remember to rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening and share with one person. We used to gather around a table at Caribou Coffee. It's a coffee house in Minnesota in the Midwest. But now we gather virtually in hopes that these conversations will be a light for you as they are for us. Now, let us begin this week's conversation. Welcome to this episode of the Strange Catholic Show. We've been missing you guys on the YouTube. You got to show up. Link is in the description. This week, we're going to talk about some listener feedback. We're going to talk about the order of the permanent diaconate, what it is when it was reintroduced into the life of the church. Our saint this week is St. Aloysius Gonzaga. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, help us to draw into that love, that union and communion you're longing to bring us closer into. Let us be open to the workings of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Pray that you guide the words that we say on this podcast. You hear the pleas of all those that are reaching out to you. That you soften our hearts to be ever conformed to that, the sacred heart of Jesus. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in unity with the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, I'm stealing Bob's first cup of coffee because we're going to do some listener feedback. This listener is going to remain anonymous. But we just received this, so I thought it was relevant to bring up. Uh, this is feedback for episode 15, but we just received it on June 5th, so n- nine months ago, if I'm doing that math right. It's something like that. Anyways, so the the person said, let's just keep quote-unquote dialoguing on these quote-unquote complicated issues while the Smokestacks keep churning out their ash outside of town. Nice. So, just to remind people, what was the topic we were talking about that someone would say this? We're talking about Father... So this would probably mostly in reference to Father Altman. Um, Father Altman was... uh, We were highlighting the video where he said you, um, you can't be... Catholic and a Democrat is what Father Altman said in that very popular video. It definitely has more than a million views by now. Uh, And he appreciates all the pub he can get every time it's mentioned. But um, so, and I re-listened to the episode a couple times. And not only did we not just say that we're only going to keep dialoguing, but I think what's really important is that uh, both, so I can speak for all three of us because we had this discussion pre-show, but we are ardent pro-life people. I mean, the, we are ardent in our pro-life vigor. We go to marches. 
we, you know, we're at rallies. We pray unceasingly for abortion to be gone in our country. And I know we mentioned that if it wasn't in our last week's episode, it was the episode before. Obviously, this person is catching up a little bit late. This happens to be one of our more popular episodes. So maybe it's just some metric that's throwing it in their feed instead of a more recent one. But anyways, I just thought it was a very different response, especially the, um, the just keep dialoguing on these complicated issues while the smokestacks keep churning out their ash outside of town. That seems, uh, to me, that seems very reminiscent of World War II Germany when they're exterminating millions and millions of people. Now, the scourge of abortion in our country obviously has far exceeded what uh, the Germans did in a few short years. And we don't deny that. We don't discount that in any way. Every life is sacred. But as we talked about in that episode, and I think we can even better articulate it again, if the only voice people hear is one like that video, they're probably not going to have their hearts swayed or opened up to those truths that Jesus is trying to teach. The same truths that Father Altman is talking about. We don't deny the truths that he's speaking of, but rather that sometimes we have to you know, bring that message of the truth of when life begins, but in, first understand where the other is coming from to help them to start asking them questions instead of just bringing attacks like you're evil, you're going to hell, all these things. Instead, hey, when do you think life begins? And then start asking the questions. Well, why is that? Why do you think it begins then and not at conception? You know what I mean? If you're asking a question instead of on the defense, you're going to have a far better outcome than if all you're doing is just lobbing attacks and attacking, you know, what I mean? lobbing attacks and being defensive. If instead you listen, you ask questions to understand where they're coming from and then bring that reasoned argument when they are then engaged in conversation with you instead of just shouting back and forth. OK, what do you guys think? Well, I'm glad that you brought this forward, Phil, first of all, for the timeliness of it, number one. Uh, but number two, I want to say thank you to the listener for providing that feedback. It's always good to hear what you, the listener, is thinking. Coming at somebody, let, let's just face it, anytime somebody talks at you and not with you, immediately, and studies have proven this, the defense shields go up, you have completely stop listening. I'm, you may be hearing them, but talking about active listening. And at that point, all active listening has ceased. We agree that steps need to be made to eliminate abortion. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with that more. However, if I'm shouting at you or telling you stuff, instead of engaging you in a conversation to help see where you're at and and help you see where my point of view is, that door will be completely shut off. And I know that I've experienced those in the Catholic Church who ha take that approach. They, they come right at you, guns blazing, basically. 
And uh, it's never a, a good opportunity for conversation. Well, I think the listener, and we appreciate the feedback. We ask that we get more feedback from folks on on these types of topics. Um, proves the point of why we had the podcast in the first place. And we said that you just you can't approach things this way. It's, it's just not going to work. I mean, it's a polarizing issue to begin with. And how, how do we foster dialogue unless we, we try to at least meet in the middle and have the conversation, as you guys have said, and try to understand the other side? You know, it's just a us versus them. And, and what's so I guess to, you know, to this listener's Obviously, this listener was not happy with that and probably would have been more in the camp of uh, of the father who did the video. I think we didn't, I didn't rip the father for doing the video per se for his point of view, except for the fact that basically saying that Democrats are going to go to hell. Okay. And, and then doing it with an extreme, you know, group and as a priest when you're in a position of power and leadership, is it really the best decision to make, you know, for him to do that? I think that was part of the conversation. Yep. So I, I, you know, I can get from the response from the, from the listener that, you know, they're, they thought we were probably a little too accommodating to the pro-choice side. You know, I got it. Um, and Phil, I think you outlined our position just fine, but, but you know, are we are we supposed to just? How does that person think abortion's going to stop by us just going? You know what? You know, God's going to strike down all those people who are pro-choice, or they're just their minds are going to change, or or what? What's going to? How is that going to happen if we don't make some sort of attempt? to reach out to understand why they believe what they believe just to say, Nope, you're wrong. You're evil. You're going to hell. Get over there. If you don't repent, you know, well, that, that's not going to get them to repent. Right. Right. We know that. So, I mean, it just, to me, it's a, it's a short sighted view. And, and we've talked, we've touched on the importance of culture and that there's a very recent Pew survey if it didn't come out today, it came out within the last week for sure. That kind of shows that uh, we pro-life folks are in the apparent minority, uh, given the margin of error. Um, you know, but it doesn't mean that we quit fighting, right? Just because this survey shows that you know more people are favorable to um, to abortion today than maybe they were six years ago or however long ago the other study was. It doesn't mean that we don't spread this message of when life begins and we don't just give up because all of a sudden it doesn't seem like we're winning as far as getting more and more people behind this um, to see the clear understanding of when life does begin at conception. So, you know, I mean, there's, there's of Again, and I know Bob has mentioned this, uh, it wasn't in this podcast, but it was in podcasts prior to this, that the importance of changing the culture is how we can bring this 
is how we can convert even more hearts. If we can help to break through that hard outer shell of the culture to help them see and realize the importance of life. And from what I've seen in a lot of pro-life marches, there's a lot, a lot of younger people there. That's a great sign that more and more young people are seeing and understanding that truth of human dignity at the beginning at conception. So obviously there've been a lot of pro-life legislation that has been passed state by state across the U.S. Uh, so that's another attempt to try and help steer people away from making those decisions. None of those laws criminalize the person having or choosing the abortion. It's more towards the medical doctors is who it's going after, which I know is another argument that I've seen come up as well. But again, to that listener, you know, we really appreciate that feedback. Feedback. And, you know, our point is not only to dialogue, but really to convert hearts. And sometimes that takes a little bit longer. Sometimes just by asking questions, we can already help to sway or move their heart in the direction of being more open to life and the reality of when life begins at conception. But we can't just hit them over the head all the time. Sometimes some people really need that, need that club over the head to wake them up to the reality. But that doesn't work for everyone. And I would say in today's culture it probably doesn't work for a lot of people but we can always be encouraged by our constant witness our prayer because prayer is so ever powerful some people will say that prayer means nothing it's not doing anything when we're first called to prayer right before we're called to action so prayer first before we ever begin to try and witness because prayer is that communion with the lord so that's all i have on that unless anyone wants to add more well, I would say prayer is action. Prayer is one of the most peaceful actions that we as Catholics can take. That's my two cents. Yeah, I don't disagree. I just have heard from other people, well, what is prayer doing? You got to get out there and get on the sidewalks and do all that. Well, not everyone's called to that. And prayer is powerful. It is extremely powerful. So we can't discount the power of prayer. That's all I wanted to say. So for the main topic, Go we're going to talk about deacons. And what is a deacon? What are Terry and myself? Because we're ordained to the permanent diaconate, which is different. Transitional deacons are ordained on the premise that they will become priests, usually within a year to two years. So for deacons in our diocese, it's a period of four to six or more years of formation to become a permanent deacon. So a permanent deacon can be married or unmarried but they need to be the age of 35 before they're ordained. So that's one of the minimum uh, qualifications. And if they're on the younger side, they really want to see that there is many people, not just the community, the parish community where they reside, but there are other clergy. There's other people that can attest to the character and the Christian witness of the individual. So that's some of the things that the council said in 1967. So people will say, wait, how can these deacons be married? Well, because we're not doing some of those things that the church reserves for only a priest, right? So even in the Eastern church, uh, married priests, as far as I understand, at least in the Byzantine rite, married priests are not hearing confession. They're not doing some of those things that are reserved only for celibates. So again, too, for us deacons, we are not priests. 
We instead are only assisting or serving at the altars. Diakonia means service, to serve. But it does not mean only service at the table. It means to serve the hearts of God, to be a herald for the people, bringing that voice of the people to the pastor, to the bishop, and again, bringing that prophetic word, the gospel, the good news out into the world. So permanent deacons prior to retirement are working regular jobs, are in the communities, and are able to give a witness to Christ in their everyday life. A bold witness because we're ordained to service, right? So we're serving God's word to these people. So what? here's a couple of things what a permanent deacon can do, what we've already kind of covered what he can't. So a permanent deacon can preach the gospel at mass. Uh, he is allowed to give a homily. He is allowed to perform baptisms, to witness marriages, to preside at a funeral. And then, of course, there's many other, other things, catechetical teaching, uh, we can bring communion to the homebound or to those sick. We can visit the sick. There's many other things, right? But to kind of encapsulate it, it's a life of service. So we can't, we are not called to the priesthood. So our hands are not consecrated. So we cannot consecrate, right? We cannot uh, be at the altar uh, when the bread is changed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. We cannot hear confessions. We cannot anoint the sick or perform uh, those last rites. Um, because we're not bishops, we can't ordain. What am I missing, Terry? You've got it all. Okay, I, I thought mean, so. The two main ones were uh, we can't hear confessions and we can't preside at a mass and we cannot, because giving last rites includes giving your last confession, we can't be there to uh, participate in that. So if a priest isn't available, we're obviously there to pray with and for that individual. We can say prayers with them. Uh, we can bless them, but we can't anoint them. So just like what Terry said. So I thought it was a really interesting perspective to just get an idea of what deacons can and can't do. Um, so this is a relatively new thing because this was reinstated in 1967. Deacons had been God for nearly a thousand years, six to 800 years, depending where in the world the deacons were. We've profiled other saints that have been deacons that stayed deacons, right? But that was more of the rarity. So biblical and just after, a lot of the deacons were really like a herald of the bishop, something I mentioned at the beginning. They would be that voice of the bishop. So they would appear at councils on behalf of the bishops or even the pope. They would go and be a liaison for the bishop to other countries or other provinces. And they would even um, go, go into a community where maybe the priest was not teaching in the right way and be that voice of the bishop to say, you can't say this, you're teaching heresy or something wrong. Now, from what I've read and researched, the majority of the reason why it kind of dwindled, where we didn't, no longer had kind of this permanent diaconate or the stopping point at the diaconate is that this power 
might have been abused a little bit. People started to let that get to their head. And so it kind of dwindled. Um, actually should have asked a, a good online friend of mine, Deacon Andy, to give a little bit more history. But I just wanted to give you a little snapshot of what the Deacon is, what the Deacon can do. Um, it has, I would say, evolved a bit over time. But again, it's still that life of service, bringing that gospel message out into the world and the ability to really reach out and minister to people where they are. Because a priest will not always have that opportunity, and especially not in a workplace, because that's not what their call is and their vocation. Well, the one thing, and I don't know if this is solely in the St. Cloud Diocese or if this is a part of the permanent uh, diaconate for the entirety of the Catholic Church, but if our wives yes. should pass away while we are deacons, we are, as deacons, not allowed to get remarried. And That's that horrible. is made very clear from the start. Yes, uh, they emphatically drove that in my head because I'm <laughs> younger. And they said, you realize you can never marry again? Yes, I do realize. No, you really can't ever get married again? Yes, I'm aware. No, really. Something would were to happen to your wife, God forbid, you cannot marry again. Yes, I understand. So yes, very good. Thank you for pointing that out. I've uh, maybe had some online spirited conversations with some people that um, were trying to argue that uh, deacons are only ordained to be celibate. And I was reading to them some of the right where the transitional deacons are kind of called forward to pro to uh, make that uh, profession or pronouncement of celibacy. And those that are going to be ordained to the permanent diaconate do not respond during that right. And it says it right in the right. Um, so anyways, but I just, uh, I just thought it was a good point to bring up, you know, this restoration of the permanent diaconate, why the Latin church has done this. I think I mentioned if I didn't, this might've been on the pre-show, but, uh, so it was Eastern Catholics that were really the, impetus in helping to form a bunch of this because they've had deacons this whole time. Um, and the purpose of their ministry, because uh, it is a little bit different than what we have in the Latin church, the Latin rite, I should say. Um, but there's a lot of similarities and you can see a little bit, uh, if you've ever been to like a Byzantine Catholic church and seen what the deacon does, you might get a little bit of a glimpse of what uh, a Latin deacon does. And this actually, the, the need for deacons actually goes back to Jesus' time. Um, one of the first mentions in the Bible, it comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6, um, and I can just read a little bit of it here where it Please says, uh, at that time, as the number of disciples continued to grow, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the 12 called together the community of the disciples and said, it is not right for us to neglect the word of God to serve at the table. Brothers, select from among you seven reputable men 
filled with the spirit and wisdom whom we shall appoint to this task. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. The word of God continued to spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly. Even a large group of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Beautiful. Thanks be to God. You know, I think you covered most of it. I think the the celibacy after your wife dies is probably universal. Um, I don't think it's St. Cloud only, but uh, yeah, it is universal. Right. And, uh, you know, we talked a lot about the reinstitution of deacons still being a still a new concept for lay people and for even for priests. They still don't know what to do with you. They're used to not having you. They're used to doing things by themselves, you know, so they're still trying to carve out a, you know, hey, this is what you should be having the deacons do and, and so on. So we, we're still struggling. Not, I mean, we meaning you. Um, but the group is still struggling to to try to find its identity, I think. You know, even though it's been, you know, 50 years, over 50 years post-Vatican II, that this has been reinstituted in the church, that's really just a blip on the radar screen for, for our history. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I do know in talking at a recent conference that Phil and I were at, you know, some dioceses have only instituted the permanent diaconate in their diocese within, say, the last 10 or 15 years. So for those particular dioceses, I mean, this is a completely new concept. Right. And there were a lot of priests that were formed in some of these dioceses. So this is a, you know, it seems foreign to them that this is even a thing. They might have maybe intellectually known about it, but in practice hadn't uh, had the ability to have a deacon assist them in whatever needs they so desired. Well, it's time to take a short break, and we'll be back with uh, Saint Spotlight. Stay with us. And we're back, and Terry's going to take us with Saint Spotlight, and I think we're the focus is on uh, a top basketball team in the <laughs> college ranks. Well, you are correct in a way. So it is. We're focusing this week on St. Aloysius Gonzaga. And of course, as Bob mentioned, Gonzaga uh, College is named after uh, St. Aloysius Gonzaga. So um, there is some tie there. Yes, you are correct, Bob. Thank you. So St. Aloysius Gonzaga, also known as Aloigi Gonzaga, Louis Gonzaga, and Luigi Gonzaga, celebrates his feast day on June the 21st. He is the patron saint of Jesuit students, Christian youth, plague victims, AIDS sufferers, AIDS caregivers, also the patron saint against sore eyes, bodily purity, relief from pestilence, teenage children, which, relief from pestilence, teenage children, some parents might say the two are interconnected, but I'll digress. And, of course, young people. 
as a young boy, St. Aloysius always had a great desire to know and serve God, but his family life was not always supportive of this desire. He was born into a noble Italian family, and his father was a compulsive gambler. He grew up in a castle and was trained from a very young age to be a soldier, a courtier, and despite opposition of his family, he also taught catechism to poor boys. Born in the castle of Castiglione on March 9, 1568, Aloysius was the eldest of seven children born to Ferrante Gonzaga Marches di Castiglione, a prince in the Holy Roman Empire. The first words Aloysius ever spoke were the holy names of Jesus and Mary. Destined for a military career as a nobleman, he was educated at the ducal courts of Florence and Mantua and at the royal court of Madrid, where he was a page to King Philip II's son, Diego. Aloysius Gonzaga began to suffer from kidney disease and in the process of recovery, spent time in spiritual reading and prayer. At the age of seven, he experienced a profound spiritual quickening. His prayers included the Office of Mary, the Psalms, and other devotions. At the age of nine, he had decided on a religious life and made a private vow of chastity. He also came from his hometown of Castiglione to Florence to be educated. By the age of 11, he was fasting three days a week and practicing great austerities. When he was 13 years old, he traveled with his parents and the empress of Austria to, to the country of Spain. The more Aloysius saw of court life, the more disillusioned he became, seeking relief in learning about the lives of the saints. When he was 12, he came under the spiritual guidance of St. Charles Borromero, and from him he received First Communion. In 1581, he went with his father to, to Spain. While there, he formed the resolution of becoming a Jesuit, though he first thought of joining the Discalced Carmelites. He returned to Italy in 1584, and after much difficulty in securing his father's consent, renounced his heritage in favor of his brother on November the 2nd, 1585. He made his vows just a couple of years later on November the 25th, 1587. Immediately after he began his theological studies, his spiritual director was St. Robert Bellarmine, who counseled Gonzaga to spend less time in private devotions and more time befriending and counseling his companions. In fact, he was forbidden to pray except at the stated times. In 1591, when his fourth year of theology came around, a famine and pestilence broke out in Italy. Though in delicate health, he did devote himself to the care of the sick by serving in a hospital. 
because he nursed patients, washing them and making their beds, Aloysius caught the disease. A fever persisted after his recovery, and he was so weak he could scarcely rise from bed. Yet, he maintained his great discipline of prayer, knowing that he would die three months later. St. Aloysius died within the octave of Corpus Christi at the age of 23 after receiving the last rites from St. Robert. The last word he spoke was the holy name of Jesus. He was beatified by Gregory XV in 1621 and canonized by Benedict XIII in 1726. St. Aloysius Gonzaga, pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us. Beautiful, inspiring saint. Thank you, Terry. You're welcome. Yeah, great saint. And you even got the term court in there, too. I so did. At least we got a bas- basketball reference for Gonzaga. <laughs> great. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Terry. Well, now it's come to that time of the show where we ask a few things from you, our listeners. We ask you to to uh, recommend us, to rate us. We ask you to rate us five stars, if all possible. We also ask you to we also ask you to recommend us and subscribe to us. You can do that all over the place. You can do it on any podcast platform that you find us on. You can also go to our YouTube channel and subscribe there and watch the actual videos. Although this week I'm only on audio, so you won't get to see my beautiful face, but you can see the other folks and see me in other videos. So if you want to do that, please go onto YouTube and subscribe there. There are many ways to get in touch with us, but the best way to leave us a message and a comment is here. StrangeCatholicsPod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm forward slash strangecatholics. And again, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Link is in the description. Okay. We've come to the end, and it's time for closing prayer. And is it Terry? It is Terry me doing this closing week. Prayer? It is me right. this week, Bob. Yes. All right, All right my brothers. Thank you very much. Let's begin closing prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, you are so good, so loving, and you bestow that love on us each and every day, and we are so grateful for that. We are too grateful as well for this time together with our listeners and with my brothers in Christ bringing your word to light, bringing what it is that you want us to say to help inspire and have people look to you and to the great Catholic faith. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, as we close this podcast, we just lift up and pray especially for all of our listeners, but mostly for the protection of life from conception to natural death. For all those who are preparing for marriage, may the Holy Spirit open their hearts to the love of God as the center of their married lives. We also pray for those that are married, that they remember the love they committed to when they said, I do. 
for Abby and her baby and those who are pregnant or are looking to become pregnant. May Jesus, the divine physician, physician, protect those vessels of life and their babies. For all those who are suffering from any illness, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, may the Holy Spirit bring them light, healing, and hope. For all world leaders that they advocate for peace. For our brother in Christ, Vincent, and his wife, Karen, that the Holy Spirit come down upon them as they prepare for the final approval before ordination. And for our brother, Phil, may God bless his family's new home. And Father, we lift up these prayers with humble hearts and blessed voices. And we just ask that now that we've given these to your ears, that we let them go and let you honor and glorify them with for your sanctification and let your will be done. And we pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Amen. Spirit. Amen. 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 All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us this week. Look forward to talking with you next week. Until that time, love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Strange Catholics. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation and it helps you dive into a deeper reflection and union with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to leave some feedback, please go to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics to leave a voice message. Or you may also send us an email at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Links will be in the description. Please share this podcast and this episode with at least one person. This will help get the word out and get more people to join into the conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to us. This really helps the podcast get traction and help even more people discover the peace, love, and mercy that our Lord offers and is longing to offer each and every one of us. Thank you again for listening. Have a glorious day, and may God bless you.